This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Detection at Scale podcast. My name is Jack Naglieri. Today, I'm here with two very special guests, Heider Dost and Daniel... Uh, I'm going to try your last name. Wolesik Stern. <laughs> I think I got it. They're two security engineers over at Snowflake. Heider leads actually the global threat intelligence and detection engineering at Snowflake. Uh, he's been working at security for over eight years with a really a huge focus on security operations, threat detection, threat intelligence. And then prior to Snowflake, he led their threat detection at Freddie Mac, managed the Global Cybersecurity Operations Center at Capital One, where he actually led the response to the data breach of 2019, which was uh, quite a famous event. And I can only imagine that that was a very interesting experience that you had there. <laughs> Daniel also uh, works at Snowflake as a uh, senior security engineer, where really he spends a lot of his time improving their threat detection program and really building a strong base for, for the future with Snowflake. He's also a recent convert from the blue team world after spending the majority of his career breaking systems at uh, Praetorian and uh, spent some time over at the U.S. Air Force as well. So guys, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us, Jack. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having the intro. So I always ask this question, how people got their start in security. But I guess, you know, I, I just sort of detailed your backgrounds. What was really the thing that got you into incident response specifically? Because it's a very specific part of security. So uh, Hyder, if you want to just go first and Daniel, you can follow up. Yeah, sure. So my background, you know, has pretty much been in security operations. And for me, you know, working as a security analyst at a startup company called Trisha Security Solutions got me exposure to the STEM world and just monitoring alerts and, you know, responding to events. You know, I worked at HPE's SOC and MSSP. But really, I'd say working at Capital One is where I started leaning in more towards the response side of the house. So my career trajectory was, you know, analyst work. And I think eventually the natural projection for an analyst is to then pivot into response and the handling of events, right? Rather than escalating the event to a senior, you know, security analyst or responder, you know, you start to handle those events yourself. And I found myself in that position at Capital One. And, you know, as you detailed, you know, working probably one of the highlights of my career in leading response for the breach in 2019. So, um, I think it's sort of a natural step, uh, you know, you find in security operations centers. Uh, so I had a, a very irregular journey to detection. So I started off doing offensive work for Praetorian. And one of the things that our clients often did when we were doing readouts was we would go into this sort of, you know, we did this thing and they said, well, we would have detected you and stopped here because we detected this. And it got into this whole journey of like, well, what about isms? And, you know, if we did this, then we would have done this. And then we realized we needed to just sort of separate our offensive work from like helping to evaluate their detections. So I helped, you know, sort of do purple teams for our clients there when we were evaluating detecting response. And during that, I realized like, this is really bad. Like, why are so many things so hard to do? And why are people not able to detect things that I thought was easy? So, you know, I started part of that, you know, I started building detections. And that's sort of how I got my journey was you know, sort of reverse, like doing offensive work and then trying to find and catch the things that I was doing myself. Do you guys think that 
analyst work and then leading incidents is sort of the precursor to becoming an engineer? Like, do you think that's the normal track that people typically follow today? You know, I think that's an interesting question. And I strongly believe that you can come from blue team or red team. And I think both provide very interesting perspectives. And like for myself, I've always been on the blue side of the house, right? I've always been a blue teamer as an analyst, a responder. And I eventually found myself, you know, in threat detection. But, you know, someone who was a red teamer can provide just as much value because they understand the attacks. And so they can then help develop detections for them. So I I think either can eventually find their way at, at threat detection, which is why I feel threat detection engineers are so skilled. Because most of the time, you don't just jump right into threat detection. And then oftentimes, you, I feel, you know, as, and as a manager of this team at, at Snowflake, it's really difficult to open up like entry-level positions because you just require so much knowledge on, on the offset that you need from a, a detection engineer to, to have. So typically, those are security analysts, incident responders, or red teamers. Daniel, anything? Any, any thoughts to add there? Yeah, I think that, you know, the traditional model, right, was like you sort of worked your way up through the SOC. I think as a lot of companies, you know, almost move away from stock models as well, I think that sort of path may be sort of less common. They're still valid, especially as sort of the skills of what's required to write solid detections is changing. I think the background and the path into those positions will also change, right? Like we're seeing a lot more development skills necessary, a lot more understanding of how applications work and understanding of the clouds. You know, somebody who's, you know, written Terraform and sort of done cloud infrastructure for a while could be a great detection engineer because they understand sort of how does the system work and therefore how do I know to look for things that are unusual or different or could be representative of irregular behavior. How do you guys think that jump typically ends up happening? So those worlds are very different, as you point out. So the blue team world or the red team world where you're trying to actively defend or to break into systems versus learning how to defend, learning cloud infrastructure application development, all these other things that Daniel, you just mentioned. So how do you guys think people can make that jump? Or, and also, how did you make that jump specifically? I think it, you find it naturally. Like, like, like For me, at least, right? I think you're working in a SOC and everyone knows SOC turnaround is so... I mean, it's like... it's They say it's like two years, but I think it's even less than that now. Analysts eventually get tired of working you know, alerts, I'd say. And you know, alert fatigue is real. I think working in incident response burnout is also real. But as you're working on the blue side of the house, and if let's just say your detection team is not within your operations, within your org, they're, they're outside, or, or you just have a dedicated team. And I guess I'm, I'm sort of saying my story here, but you find yourself really looking at the detections that you're working, and you either find problems or you want to better them, right? You want to enhance them. And, and like, that's what led me. I like my background is I, I was on the other side of the house triaging these detections. And I found myself wanting to get involved more on the detection side of the house. Like, how can we correlate detections? How can I reduce the volume? How can I enhance these alerts? How can I have a say in the detection process? Because I've, I've sat there and it almost, you know, the relationship has always been in the past, like, you know, detection team write alerts and they just hand them off to the team that triages and typically that's a sock and obviously we are going sockless but i found myself wanting to get my hands on detections and being able to influence that process and enhance that process having worked so many alerts you know in, in my life so that's sort of how i found my my way there i think for red teamers right it's sort of a natural progression as part of your development you know understanding not just how do i break into the system but as i do it how do i ensure i don't get detected and sort of a natural research into detection comes as a part of that. 
And if that's going to interest you, right, that's some sort of a natural pivot that a lot of teams are looking for is those skill sets. And if you're not in security at all, right, but you're, you know, cloud engineering or developer, luckily there's you know, tons of resources, both you know, offensive and defensive focused CTFs and resources nowadays to go learn. And, you know, just also reach out to your security team at your company. We're always looking for, for friendly folk to, you know, be our champions. That's a really interesting perspective, actually. The idea that a cloud engineer or just a typical software developer could pivot into security because oftentimes it's the other way around where a security analyst wants to pivot more into engineering. And that jump can be pretty difficult. But I think, Hyder, the way you, you mentioned it actually completely resonated with me because that was exactly my my journey. I went from being an analyst and kind of just being hit a lot with alert fatigue and not really having a good system to deal with the scale that we had. And when I was an analyst, it was, I don't know, like seven years ago. And just think about the the lack of sophistication that existed then with tooling. And now we're sort of in this era where we have platforms like Snowflake that can really help store this security data and really take it to the next level. And I think that was always an aha moment for me. So actually, you know, I wasn't planning to uh, talk about this so soon, but I guess why don't we talk about a little bit about Snowflake specifically, because Snowflake is a data cloud. And when we think about detection and response, a lot of that is is a data problem, right? Like we have to go through and collect a lot of this instrumentation and really put it somewhere. So maybe a good place to start is like really what's your high level approach for really building strong detection teams? Yeah, I think, you know, to start, like you brought up a good point and that's the stack that you have and, and, and sort of, you know, the security data lake and, and where that comes in, right? I just want to highlight or hit a point in my career where I first got introduced to Snowflake and that was at Capital One. And that was really a pivotal point in, in my career because I, you know, obviously got exposed to, to Capital One and, you know, what they were trying to do and going all in on the cloud and, you know, having this data lake strategy, which was very foreign to me, having come from the federal government and the consulting world. And, you know, like you just don't, Cloud and the government, you know, at least a few years ago was, you know, that word, you know, don't mention the cloud, right? Like everything has to be on-prem. And then the idea of a data lake, it was interesting, you know, I heard of it, obviously, but, you know, how that sort of, how security, right, in the security data lake can sort of fit into that model. And I, I do give a lot of credit to Capital One for what they've built there. But to answer your question, when you're trying to build a strong threat section team in, in, in the stack, like I think having the ability and the capability, I, I guess, to be able to handle an increased data sets, right? Like right now that we're in the cloud, you're talking, I think this is a small number, but like 10x the data volume like you previously had from, you know, previous infrastructures. Not only that, you know, data silos and then, you know, people running into challenges of, you know, I'm not going to mention any company names, but like licensing issues, right? Where you can't even process data because it costs too much. I mean, these are all personal challenges that I've gone through. You know, I've, I've been at organizations where I wanted DPC flow logs and it's like, oh, it's going to be too expensive. So like, we can't even ingest these logs. We can't even, you know, let alone search them. We can't get them in, like hit with a major challenge. So I think, you know, at Snowflake, it's amazing. Like we have all the data that we want and zero issues there. And I think if you're ever starting to build out a program, you know, it, it all starts with your the data that you have, right? And being able to query that data and be able to work with that data. So... So when you think about data that's most important to you from the beginning, like how do you organize that? I mean, there's so much you could collect. You mentioned VPC flow logs is one that's quite helpful for response. Which ones do you think are the the highest impact for your security program typically? Yeah, that's an interesting one. It really depends on 
your organization, I would say, and like how you're set up. But if I had to pick specific log sources, I would say, you know, EDR logs or host-based logs are critical, right? Having your web application firewall logs, CloudTrail, right? Or if you're in, you know, obviously in GCP and, and Azure, right? Like, you know, those audit trail logs and application logs, uh, right? Like that's something that as a responder, and I, and I know this will resonate with the people who work in response. And this is what makes, you know, a platform like Snowflake so great, in my opinion, is there are so many times where I was pulled into an incident and it involved potentially like an application. And obviously the first thing you do as a responder is, okay, like, let me analyze the logs and try to figure out what's going on. Oh, wait, those logs aren't in the SIM. Oh, wait, those logs aren't being collected. We have our own, you know, instance or we're, you know, logs are collected locally. So I think ensuring that your organization has policy to collect uh, some directive or policy to collect logs and make sure that, you know, logging is enabled is important. So you want to have those application logs, but just making sure you're able to analyze an event from the host all the way out into the network. So I think, I don't think there's one log source that, that in particular, like is the magic bullet, right? Like you need to correlate various log sources to be able to come to a conclusion to understand like what happened. The one thing I was going to say, it's it's interesting because the question I ask is, which logs are the highest impact? And Hydra goes, all of them. <laughs> like we basically need as much data as possible. And I think that's very representative of where we are today. Moving to the cloud actually resulted in even more of a need to collect things because we don't have as much control anymore. And as a result, we need better visibility and more comprehensive visibility. So it's just, it's very representative of like the state of the world as a defender. So Daniel, go ahead. I think the way that I like to think about how to sort of logs is you know, breaking them down into two main categories, which is state and then event, right? So state is like, what is the current state of this system at any given time? Can I enumerate, you know, what are its current connections? Who are its current users? What are the current permissions of those users? What is currently happening, right? So if you look at like, you know, AWS, what are my current instances that are running? What are my current Lambda functions? What are my current AIM users and their keys? What are my current roles? And then events, right? So anytime something happens, how does that change the state? So anytime a new instance is spun up, an instance is deleted, keys are created or destroyed. Those are sort of the events that I want to be able to understand. Sort of who did what to what and when did that happen? And sort of giving the complete picture of the system and able to sort of answer different questions based on those. Sort of, you know, who are my admins at this time? Maybe is, you know, a question I just want to be able to ask versus when is a new admin created? That may be something that's more important to me. And I think it's also, right, if you're at a company where it's building products, being able to communicate those requirements to the teams that are building products so you can collect those logs internally. Being able to formalize that and say, hey, when you build this system, I need to be able to, at any given time, collect the state of the system. And the system needs to output events so that I'm able to ingest those and understand anytime something happens, what are the full details of what happened so I can link those entities together. So now that you have a lot of this data, I mean, we're talking about response primarily right now and understanding, like you said, Daniel, the the state of the world and then how those things changed. How do you guys think about building a strong detection baseline to be proactive, right? Because response is, is in its nature reactive. You're reacting to a thing that you found, but what's your thought process for building strong detection primitives in terms of like the types of activity you would look for? Sure. So we sort of operate from like a threat-based approach where we try and understand and make sure that a threat exists in order for us to build detections to it. And in order for that to sort of be formalized, you have to have a goal, right? So I'm going to detect this threat that needs to be phrased as a goal so that like, you know, when 
A happens, I want to be able to have a detection for that. We use Palantir's alerting and detection strategy framework in order to formalize that structure on top, where it's sort of delineates like, here's the goal, here's some technical context, here's our strategy behind it, here's the data sources we're going to use, other resources, recommended response steps, assumptions, et cetera. And this helps us sort of formalize you know, our thought process before we even like put pen to paper, right? Just like if you're designing a system, you don't just start writing code, you design it first. This is sort of our similar approach to that. I was going to just add, you know, at a high level to what Daniel said, obviously like a strong detection is one that's alerting on, you know, malicious or suspicious behavior, right? Like that's the common goal. But what's important is that, you know, from a detection standpoint, I think this varies in every environment, right? What's malicious and what could be suspicious in my environment may not be the same as what happens in your environment, right? And so it's really important that you partner and understand and have like a risk and intel-based prioritization process for, you know, how or what you're building, right? Like, was there a threat model conducted? We have a very, you know, at Snowflake, we have a very strong, we have very strong partnerships with our product and corporate security team where, you know, threat models are, are done and, you know, we understand the risk behind, you know, a specific scenario or like, what's the likelihood of an attack happening? You know, are there preventative controls in place, which makes us building this detection not as important less critical. Was this a red team finding? You know, was there a tip from our Intel team about a vulnerability that's being exploited? I think there are a lot of different scenarios and this sort of feeds the alert creation process. And as Daniel mentioned, you know, once we, you know, gather requirements, we then pivot and use Palantir alerting and detection strategy to build this framework and design doc for our detections that provides, you know, sufficient documentation for our incident responders who triage, you know, our detections, you know, here at Snowflake. You know, and then something that's really important, right, is like detections should be treated as like code and should be tested. So, right, so you have your development and testing phase where, you know, you design the actual code or query and then test it to ensure that the goal is achieved, that you have sufficient volume and, you know, and then have like that peer review done and and then eventually implement. And I want to sort of highlight something that I think is so important in detection and maybe a segue for this question. And that's like detection lifecycle. Right. I don't know, you know, people are familiar with that term and what that means, but I think for a detection team, it's so important to have a strong detection life cycle. So having processes defined for alert creation, maintenance, decommission, and continuous testing, right? Like just like you have the SDLC that I'm sure everyone, you know, is aware about, detection should have that life cycle. What do you do when a detection is decommissioned? You know, I've seen so many scenarios where an alert blows up. And someone turns off that detection and then forgets about it. And it's like, whoa, you know, like we may have lost coverage there. You have a process to re-enabling that alert, you know. Yeah, so the detection lifecycle is, is, is really important. And I think alert creation is obviously a foundational step. So it's really interesting, this conversation, because we started talking about analysts to engineers. And now we're basically full circle in that security engineers basically have to be software engineers to an extent. And these primitives that we used in software engineering have made their way into security. And there's a good reason for that, right? I mean, I think the detection tools that we've had to our disposal for so long haven't had this mentality. And then as a result, what ends up happening is this detection lifecycle becomes really challenging because there isn't peer review, there isn't testing, there isn't a framework around tuning or collaboration. And I mean, obviously with the work that we're doing together with Panther and Snowflake, like that's really where we kind of come together, right? Snowflake is the platform 
where you can feed all of the data that you have. And Panther is sort of the complementary piece to it where you can do the detection lifecycle and you can push things to CI/CD. And I think like that's a really great place to be in 2021. I guess the question I have as a follow-on to the last one around like building these strong detection primitives are what have been the biggest challenges that you've had with building a program like this today? I think the biggest challenge, like from my perspective as a leader, is what is the program goal, right? What's the strategy for threat detection, right? My sort of challenge, I'd say, has been that, right? And that actually is a challenge I was faced with, obviously, when I came on to Snowflake was, you know, what's the framework that we're going to follow for threat detection? You know, what's the end goal? What's the North Star? And that prompted me, you know, to build the threat detection maturity framework for the team that, you know, we later published out out for everyone to follow, hoping that it could potentially help other threat detection teams in in having this framework. But yeah, I mean, I think my challenge as a leader in the space was exactly that. And it was something that, you know, early on, you know, when joining Snowflake, it was a question that was presented to me, right? Like, where are we taking this team? You know, what are we going to build? What does that program look like? And, you know, and if you're in this space, what you'll find is that they're not, you know, any or many, you know, threat detection maturity frameworks, right? Like, an incident response, you have so many organizations and, you know, open frameworks available to follow. And you can sort of, you know, pin yourself to that, but threat detection doesn't have that. And I think that's also just goes to show threat detection is breaking out of, you know, it's sort of a niche, you could say team, it's breaking out of security operations centers, or you'll find detection and response teams are working together and response has been around forever. And I think, I think threat detection is just starting to break away and really become like an important team that every org either will have or will have it sort of be independent of the security operations center or incident response. Like they'll have, I think you're going to start to see more dedicated detection teams rather than like sister teams or them being like folded into like a security operations center. Do you not think that those teams should be the same? Do you think that threat detection should be a fully separate team and then incident response should be a fully separate team? That's an interesting question. I can't say I know the exact answer to that, like what the right solution is. But what I can say is this. I think it's really important for those two teams to work together very, very closely. Like when you say those two teams being the same thing, right? I think I've heard a lot of conversation and and thought leadership about exactly that. Like people saying, you know, it should be the same team. But, you know, we currently like our model is that we're split, but we work very very, very closely. Like our detection lifecycle, right, that we're, that we've built, our incident response team, you know, has a very strong sense of ownership of that process. And I think that's what's key. And, and maybe Jack, you can relate to this, but as we talked about it, but it's, I think the problem when, when people reference those teams being the same and, and why they even mention that is because responders or analysts, when there's a lack of ownership on the detections that are being built in the processes, then they feel, I feel, like I felt this personally, so I'm going to assume that other analysts have felt this, but that they feel like they're being force-fed something. They had no say or no ability to influence the detections being built. And I think that's what's important. Whether or not they're the same team, like, I think that's just a, you know, a structural semantic. I think it, what's important is ensuring that your detection and response teams or your, you know, security analysts, depending on who's triaging your alerts, are working hand-in-hand Right. Like you can't just build a detection and dump it on your, you know, the, the team is going to triage, whether that's like SOC analysts or responders, there should be a sense of ownership. Hey, by the way, we're building this. And like at Snowflake, when we're building that ADS, like even before we build a detection, when the design doc is built, 
our incident response team reviews it and they, they sign off on it. And then we go in and build a detection. So it, I think the relationship is more important than whether or not, you know, who they report to and if they're on the same team. Do you think that this layout is somewhat unique to like Silicon Valley companies or just like high tech companies in general where you do have enough maturity to have them split? Because if I think about the broad security market, I doubt it's the case. You know, I really think that this is unique, but I'm curious how you see it as well. You're saying that that detection and response teams are, are the same in Silicon Valley? Is that what you're referencing? I guess I'm saying like for Silicon Valley teams, because we are just highly technical in nature. Like, I'm curious if you looked at every security team at any like Fortune 500 company versus like a Silicon Valley tech company, if they would look similar or... Not at all. Very, very, very different. It's so interesting uh, to me. It is. I mean, like having worked at, you know, previously at Freddie Mac and, you know, Capital One, the structure, it is very unique to Silicon Valley, I'd say, yes. I don't think you'll find, you know... Yeah, I mean, like, you know, working at Capital One and Freddie Mac, just the the structure, the the teams that we had, the amount of teams. Like, I just find that organizations or companies in Silicon Valley are much smaller, highly technical. So you have engineers wearing multiple hats. I think that's the difference. And I, I think part of that just has to do with organizational maturity, right? Like organizations that have been around for quite a long time have developed, you know, many teams and very specific roles and Everyone wears their individual hat. Whereas if you're like a startup, you know, you're wearing multiple hats and you got, you have to do a lot. So different challenges. But even in the more mature organizations, you still have that structure, right? Like I agree in the startup, you're doing a lot. And I think even in any new security team, it's going to feel like a startup because you're going to have to do a little bit of everything. But it's really fascinating that we've had this experience being able to work in Silicon Valley companies. I think both from like a scale perspective and a technically uh, competent perspective, where it actually is sort of applauded that we we do treat security like an engineering problem. So I think it's really interesting to think about just the security community as a whole. Like, do you think the longer term for this is that more teams in the world will start to look like Silicon Valley teams? Or do you think that there's going to be this blend of skills where you're not going to have to be an engineer to be successful? Because that that's a big blocker for a lot of people, especially those who aren't based out here. So how do you see like the future of this sort of developing as everyone's kind of forced into the cloud? Because it's kind of a requirement, right? If you go into the cloud and you're at a scale, you need to understand software engineering, you need to understand these principles, but how does this really become successful at a broader scale, you think? You know, I think, you know, when you, you mentioned Silicon Valley teams and will other orgs sort of find themselves in that same position, I wouldn't say it's necessarily that. And the reason why I say that is I think that the longer a company is, you know, around for the more structure they end up developing, you almost just naturally find like more vertical structures rather than lateral. And and I think the level of impact you're able to make slowly, like when you're working in a startup, right? And you're a small company, I mean, you're wearing multiple hats, you're doing a lot, but as a company matures, you start building out dedicated teams. I mean, Snowflake, for example, our global security engineering team was made up of incident response, threat detection, and platform automation. And then, you know, I came in and we had an incident response lead come in and those functions were, you know, broken out, right? And sort of, you know, whereas like prior to me joining, they were one organization, one structure on, under one leader. Whereas, I mean, we're all still under global security engineering, but now we're spread out, I should say. But I think, I mean, like from a skill perspective, I'm there with you. I think having knowledge, right? Having the skills, engineering skills, right? To understand, 
you know, one of the three major cloud providers, you know, knowing how to script and code, knowing how to build like automation um, and develop tools. And I think those skills, they're just going to bleed over, right? Like whether or not you're a security analyst, you have to learn these skills to be, I think, relevant in today's job market. And so, yes, I think what you're going to find is, you know, skill sets bleeding over into different parts of, of the job. And as like Daniel mentioned, right, you know, as a detection team, we're looking for, you know, someone who was a cloud engineer and has, you know, extensive knowledge of like, let's just say AWS and we can, you know, they could be a fit in building detections. So. Totally agree with that. I think the understanding a cloud platform plus enough programming to to be dangerous in a, in a script or something that's related to detection or even response too. I mean, historically, the thing that's been interesting for me is I went from writing scripts with Python to like building detection platforms where Python was the center of it. And that's such a natural progression if you think about it, because we're all used to, we're all used to Python because it's a very approachable language. And there is so many resources out there really just around Python and, and applying that for security. So to wrap up for today, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, super, super interesting. Both of your backgrounds and, and the way you guys approach detection and responses is, is fascinating and really resonates a lot with me as well. So my final question for both of you, and, and one of you can start and the other can, can follow up, is to really succeed at effective detection at scale in the future and like looking beyond where we are today, especially, what are three pieces of actionable advice that you would give security teams listening in? So the things that I sort of noted or, or thinking of um, are really sort of geared towards being a good security engineer at one of these places. Um, I'd say learn to code. If you're not on a system that's using detection as code, you will be in the future. There's just too much power in terms of both what you can do and the ability to scale teams that you'll come from that. And that'll really sort of help get you ahead. The second thing is like, you know, when these teams, like prevention creates the white space for detections. I don't recall who said that, but somebody much smarter than me. And Heider mentioned it as well, right? If you don't have, if you're at one of those companies or an organization where it's like, oh, the detection team will get it, they won't get it. You, you need to be able to have other controls that are layered in place in order to create a comprehensive risk mitigation plan. Detection is just a part of that, right? So really, you know, don't neglect prevention as part of your strategy. And then, you know, from an engineering perspective, you know, learn to be a good employee. One of the things that I think we're seeing, especially at Snowflake, is that one of the reasons I think our team is successful is we communicate not just with our IR teams, but with compliance, with IT, with cloud engineering, with the product teams. Being able to communicate with these teams, understand, relate, know what problems they're going through and what to help solve those problems will really help you be a good engineer. And then also, you know, these teams are becoming more distributed, more global, being able to work with your manager successfully, deliver what they're asking of you. And just, you know, being a good employee doesn't mean just being a good engineer. It means, you know, all those other skills that I think will help make you successful. Yeah, Daniel hit three very, very important points. And you know what? I sort of structured my my answer slightly differently. And that's for, I'd say, detection leaders, right? The detection leaders. So I'd say one is utilize a framework and strategy for the team, right? I think that's so important, right? You don't want your goal to be, you know, 100% MITRE coverage, right? Like, come on, like, right? Like have a strong strategy for the team, you know, from processes to detection capabilities to your people, you know, as Daniel mentioned, and, and growing them out. I think that's very important. And then I think having a detection lifecycle process, as I mentioned, I think that is going to be all the more important as we're, you know, hitting the challenges that we, you know, we are and, you know, detection as code and just, you know, the more detection is being built. And I think that's very, very, very important. And then lastly, my piece of advice, and it's funny, uh, Daniel and I didn't plan this, but 
is the same exact point that Daniel, one of the points that Daniel brought up, and that's partner with the business and other teams, like your red team, your compliance team, developers, engineers, understand the business and applications you're protecting. Because if you don't, then you will not be in a strong position to protect them. And I think that's probably my key key piece of advice is work very closely with your stakeholders. And and I think threat detection is in a pivotal position to do just that, right? Because when a compliance finding comes about, right, it's like, oh, we need a detection for this threat detection is brought in. Or it's like, hey, we, we have this finding. It's like, do we have a detection for it? Or, you know, Red Team, you know, did something and now we have we didn't detect it. So like, just continue to partner and work with, you know, the business and get that understanding so you can better protect it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Hider Daniel is awesome having you guys on the show. Really appreciate the time. Hey, thank you, Jack, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.